This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the one-year Bible reading for December 1st. We are in chapter 8 of Daniel this morning. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that I had that had already appeared to me. This time I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. Now remember back to the last dream with the animals because this is going to sound very similar as we talk about these. They also represent empires to come. As I looked up, I saw in front of me a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had begun to grow later than the shorter one. The ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, and to the south, and no one could stand against it or help its victims. It did as it pleased and became very great. While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that it didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had been, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the river. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck it, breaking off both its horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked it down and trampled it. There was no one who could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. From one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. His power reached to the heavens where it attacked the, heaven, uh, the heavenly armies, throwing some of the heavenly beings and stars to the ground and trampling them. He even challenged the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. But the army of heaven was restrained from, from destroying him from this sin. As a result, sacrilege was committed against the temple ceremonies and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two of the holy ones talking to each other. One of them said, how long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will a temple and heaven's armies be trampled on? The other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings then the temple will be restored. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man suddenly stood in front of me. And I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified, I fell to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. Now, what does that time of the end mean? Well, it means everything from the exile to the second coming of Christ. While I was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground, but Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. 
Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. Now, in order to understand the, I don't know, the amazing uh, specificity of this prophecy, we have to understand that, remember, this, this vision came to Daniel during Belshazzar's reign, the king of Babylon. Babylon at the time was considered completely unbeatable. They lived in, in, a, in a fortified city that had 20 years of food stored in it and a continuous supply of water that came under the wall. And so they thought that they were completely unbeatable. And some of the powers that Gabriel's going to describe were not world powers at the time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four sections with four kings, none of them as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception, defeating many by catching them off guard. Without warning, he will destroy them. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. This is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. We know from history he's not named here by name, uh, but it's very clear he caused that uh, desolation to the temple. But he's also a precursor to the Antichrist at the end of time. This vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so do not tell anyone about them yet. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. So again, not to harp on this, but I think this is so cool. Um, for years, those that don't believe the Bible have tried to redate Daniel um, because the, the prophecy is so, has been so specifically um, met in the course of history that people say, well, the only way that that could happen is if they have faked the dates of the book of Daniel, which is cool. First John chapter two. My dear children, I, John, am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And how can we be sure that we belong to him? By obeying his commandments. If someone says, I belong to God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment, for it, it is an old one you have always had right from the beginning. This commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. This commandment is true in Christ and is true among you because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. 
If anyone says, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves other Christians is living in the light and does not cause anyone to stumble. Anyone who hates a Christian brother or sister is living and walking in darkness. Such a person is lost, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you, my dear children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature because you know Christ, the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young because you have won your battle with Satan. I have written to you, children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you who are mature because you know Christ, the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you who are young because you are strong with God's words living in your hearts and you have won your battle with Satan. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you, for when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. Psalm 120. This is a song for the ascent to Jerusalem. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from all deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer among these scoundrels of Meshech. It pains me to live with these people from Kedar. I am tired of living here among people who hate peace. As for me, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Proverbs 28, 25, and 26. Greed causes fighting. Trusting in the Lord leads to prosperity. Trusting oneself is foolish, but those who walk in wisdom are safe. And I wanted to turn this morning to uh, an Advent devotional. I don't know if I'm going to read this same devotional series to you all month or not, but I so uh, intend to read devotionals from Advent in December, and I'm not always successful, but you will hold me accountable this year. So this is from The Greatest Gift by Anne Voskamp, and it's the very first reading um, coming from Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. The mattering part is never what isn't. The mattering part is never the chopped off stump. It isn't what dream has been cut down, what hope has been cut off, what part of the heart has been cut out. The mattering part is you have a tree. Out of the last and forgotten son of Jesse comes forth one tender branch that will grow into a crown of thorns, a rugged cross, your ladder back to God. Jesus will go to impossible lengths to rescue you. Out of the stump of that fallen tree, watered with the living waters that flow from the depths of his grace, a twig sprouts. 
That twig will be the scepter that defeats your sin and lets you grow again. Out of that stump and the sheared impossible, there springs a singular shoot, tender and vulnerable. There, here, in the midst of the inconceivable, the loud claims, the hard cells, the big spectacles, Christ comes small, the micro-macro miracle who comes in the whisper and says, seek me just where you are. Look for the small glimpses of God glory breaking in, breaking out, sprouting, shooting, unfurling, breaking, bearing fruit, making a kingdom, remaking the world, slow and still. And seek the shoot that bears witness to God, the hardly noticed child, the hymn hummed over the sink, the unassuming woman bent at the register, the dog-eared word of God beckoning from the shelf. Gaze on shoots of glory to grow deep roots in God. The theology of the tree of the cross always seeks the presence of God in the belittled gifts of the world. The small babe of Bethlehem, the dismissed son of God, the stripped and beaten Messiah hanging exposed on the tree. He begs us to spend the attention of Advent on the little, the least, the lonely, the lost. Because in the rush, in the hurry, in our addiction to speed, it must it might just be a bit like stepping on the chute that sprouts from the stump. Advent, it is made of the moments, this slow unfurling of grace. I hope we can find those quiet moments as we wait in eager anticipation of Jesus. Love you all. Have a beautiful day.